History 101. Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I am one of your hosts, my name is Fred Rojas, and joining me from Val's Discount Mart is none other than Mr. <laughs> Jam Elias. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very good, Fred. I do, I do like sales, though. Yes, <laughs> yes, but the Discount Mart is something different. This is where you go into a back room and you usually get everything in a Chinese food thank you bag <laughs> but uh how's it going man how you been uh not too bad fred it's been a well it's been another one of those busy weeks but i'm finally sort of catching up on things uh i've got i've got a lot of lot where i got some this one of those nights today where my voice is just going <laughs> but i've got a lot of Fantastic. content on the way for the <laughs> website um which is which, well a lot of it some of it's already gone up already so yeah just to talk about it uh shadow the beast 2 review from mr jam elias um I'm uh, curious to play those games now. I, I get to play the original Shadow of the Beast uh, for Cron CD at some point on the TurboGrafx CD. And then I'll be coming back for Shadow of the Beast 2, a game I was shocked to see actually did come out in America. Yeah, it did. Um, the the definitive, well, some people will argue the definitive versions of the Shadow of the Beast games are the Amiga versions because all three of the games came out on that, that system originally. But so the, I read. <laughs> But the 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 Mega CD version or the Sega CD version that you're going to get to eventually, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about because it is kind of like I guess it's the most sort of uh, I guess it's one of those like like re re remastered kind of versions of the game or iter- Ah, okay. I couldn't remember if it was part one or part two. I thought part two part two, par, part two has the fancier version. Okay, because they talk a lot about how the part one edition on. Um, now maybe it is on on Sega CD for part two. You might be right. Mm. Um, you have the original Mega Drive uh, slash yep. Genesis version, right? I did have the original, the first one as well on Mega Drive. But I've I've got the oh you'll love this. <laughs> I have Shadow of the Beast uh, one on the Master System, which is pretty. Yeah, cool. you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I do too with my flash card. Mm. Uh, but um, all right, well, real quick on that topic, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Shadow of the Beast two for Genesis in America fetches four hundred dollars. Really. Jesus. You may want to look up the value of Shadow of the Beast two in in, no, in the UK. It's not it, worth that much. No, I, okay. I was re- when I was when we were at Play Blackpool, we saw a complete box copy for probably twelve pounds, which isn't that bad. And that, uh, I, I almost brought it just to have the box art alone because I don't have a version with the original box art. I've only got them. I've got it in this terrible EB Games case, which I mentioned in my review, which I keep just for <laughs> nostalgia reasons. But I have the manual in the cart. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, well, and <clears throat> I think it's the original Shadow of the Beast. If you play it on the American Genesis, mm-hmm. they ported the fifth. This is one of the few games where they ported the 50 hertz version over. So it's 20% faster on the American version and thus impossible. We, we ha- it's the same problem over here <clears throat> it's, uh, with the, with the Mega Drive version. Well, in Japan, uh- it's fine. <laughs> of course because everything is better in japan at least for that era of gaming <laughs> I know how things have changed now but. right <laughs> <laughs> but um but anyway um 
So yeah, so you can go check that one out. I look forward to playing it. Um, also, while we're on that subject, I posted a review today of uh, Street Fighter, mm, also known as Fighting so. Street. Uh, I figure since I'm playing these games for Cron CD, I may as well review them as well, right? Because Cron CD is yeah. not going to have a whole lot of that. And I don't want to constantly say in the episodes, you can look for da 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 So as the project is shaping up, I just wanted to take a minute to kind of talk a little bit more about it. And I promise once it's underway, once that first episode's out and I've gotten everything ironed out, you guys won't have to hear much about this anymore. And so I'm sorry if you're not interested, but people seem to have a lot of interest in it. So I wanted to voice these real quick. Where I'm at... It. Well, yeah, where I'm at is I do stream the games as I play them on the Twitch channel. So if you go to twitch.tv forward slash GH101 right now, I think it's only around for like two weeks, but you can see my hour-long playthrough of Street Fighter and Noriko, which is a game of where you date a Japanese idol and um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dekuraman or whatever, which is based off of a manga. And it's completely unplayable if you don't know the English language. I do not comment on these because... You know, what's the point? You know, like, that's not what, that's what Cron CD is for. Anyway, the way Cron CD is going to work is I'm going to be cutting down each game into about a five to ten minute slot where we talk about things like, especially in the case of these CD games, ports, right? A lot of these games will be ported from another console. So what do you gain from the CD consoles? These are very expensive games even now, and the consoles oh, yeah. were very expensive back then, so what do they gain from that? And I think you'll see a lot of people like to just say every game that was released on CD was shit, and then there's these Japanese otaku files that think that TurboGrafx slash PC Engine CD was the end-all be-all of CD gaming, and then everything else was shit. Um, I think the answer is, is more somewhere in the middle, but that's a hypothesis. I've never actually played a lot of these games to say so, but I will soon. So I'm fully equipped, um, but I've started on TurboGrafx CD, PC Engine CD. I've done the launch games. Those were those three games. And, um, and so what I'll do is like for Fighting Street, uh, I, you, know, you might see clips of Street Fighter, the arcade game for comparison, although they look almost identical. I might talk about the sound clips or what it's doing to really make the most of its CD thing. And I'll talk about some of the hiccups and things along the way. So there will be some mild review stuff in there. But for the most part, it's an analysis of the game as a whole somewhat impartial to my own opinions, although I'm sure the snark will jump in there. I should also point out these are going to be um, swearing-free. There may be like a damn it or an ass or something in there. Uh, I might make some poop joke or something, but for the most part, these are going to be... And they're pr they're produced, so they will be pre-recorded and everything like that. I'll, I will assemble them all at the end. The other thing I'm going to start off with is like hardware context. So for example, when TurboGrafx or PC Engine CD gets introduced in 1988, the beginning of that video is going to talk about like where gaming's at. What is the TurboGrafx slash PC Engine doing? What is the Genesis slash Mega Drive doing? What is the Master system doing what is the nintendo famicom doing you know we we talk about all that not in depth but brief and so but i do need more games for content but the other thing i was going to do was if it was japanese or unplayable to americans i was going to completely omit it i'm not doing that anymore instead what i'll do is i'm going to show off the game with a little window of the game playing but it's going to be smaller on the screen like probably only about 30 percent of the real estate with the release info and then give just a little quick info on what the game is what you can expect from it and what if you do know japanese you can take from it i also will mention fan translations wherever i can and of course if there is a fan translated or an english version i'll be using that so for fighting street i don't play the japanese version i just play the american version but we acknowledge that it came out for the first time you know kind of first time releases much like giant bomb does so anyway 
all that's coming out. I hope to have the first episode live uh, early in September. So we're good to go. Um, <clears throat> I also should point out, I finally got my CDI controller, a controller that costs almost okay. as much as the console. <laughs> yeah. The controller um, is dog shit. The D-pad <laughs> is, the D-pad isn't even as good as a Master System D-pad or a TurboGrafx-16 or PC Engine D-pad. It's pretty dog shit and it's kind of sticky. But weirdly enough, it has awesome response time on the system. Really? Yeah, for a system that uses a really shitty analog nub and single button on an infrared remote or this weird cumbersome three-button controller, which actually is only a two-button controller because button three is one and two pressed at the same time. It says it on the controller. Uh, it's kind of weird. However, um, uh, oh, I should also point out, uh, sorry, Derek, uh, CD32. I'm trying to think of, are you talking about 32X CD or is there a different format I'm not thinking of? I will not be doing microcomputers or PC games at this time. I'm just doing console. But anyway, the, the CDI, yeah, that controller works. I was able to kick ass at Dragon's Lair with it. So um, looking forward to it. And the CDI is pretty early on. I mean, you might think it's TurboGrafx-16 all the time, but not really. By, 1980, or by 1991, the PC Engine and the CDI are out. So it's going to be pretty heavy on pc engine for the first couple of episodes but then we are bringing in other consoles so it'll be good to do so anyway but uh all right uh next before, uh, oh sorry just before we move on just because uh, simon bell was talking about shadow of the beast in the chat probably worth mentioning as well that we're kind of like what <clears throat> one of the reasons why i review shadow beast 2 is obviously there is a reboot in the works for the playstation i think it's for ah. i think it's just i think it's only for the PlayStation. 4 but it might be on all next gen systems but i think you, did you know about that fred yeah, well, you were fucking with me because you called your review the no, no, HD yeah. <laughs> remaster, and I start looking it up, and I'm like, did Jim get his ass a fucking preview copy? That I, <laughs> no. How am I going to get screen grabs of this shit? <laughs> no, so, I'm yeah. not that popular, but, <laughs> but, but, there, but there, is a, there is a reboot in the works. It was, yeah, we haven't heard much from it for a while. It was last, I think it was last year that it was announced. Um, it's, like a t it's, a t it's a 2D, so it's kind of like loyal to the original. But um, Simon Belmont's saying that apparently it might be coming with the Amiga version, which is, we were just saying in the chat, is the definitive version of the game. Yeah, I could see that. And I, I think that's good. I love when games do that. We're going to be mm. talking about a game on tonight's show, which is about B-tier games, in case people wonder. And that's going to be a debate in and of itself. But a game that I would argue is a B-tier game that, Jam, I think you're familiar with, was the PlayStation 1 port of Castlevania. They called it uh, Castlevania... Oh. Chronicles? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And it was the Sony or the Sanyo X68000 port mm. and an enhanced port. And the X68000 was the original, you know, conversion. It was a hybrid between Vampire Killer, which was mm. the MSX version of Castlevania, Castlevania, which was of course the uh the NES version and Haunted Castle, which was of course the arcade version. I say of course as if you guys all know this, but <laughs> There's a retrospective on Castlevania I highly recommend you read up on. And me and Alan Phoenix did do an episode on it. So That's feel free to go episode. check those out. But um, but yeah, uh, so so I think it's awesome when they do ports like that and let you go back to the original. Um, I love that Halo does it on the fly. There's a part of me that says I really would have liked the Rare Replay collection to have both Conkers Live and Reloaded and uh, the N64 port on there. Cool. If you want my honest opinion, I think it's a technology issue. I think Probably. they're having yeah. issues. I still don't know how they're getting grabbed by the ghoulies to work on there. Uh, well, don't they have 
Yeah, yeah, that is the only Xbox game, isn't it? That's yes, and what it is is it's an. Mm. I know it's on there because it was on the Xbox digital service, which uh, is Xbox yeah. compatible, right? The Xbox Classics or yeah, whatever they called that's them. Right. So they just basically ripped that and used the backwards compatibility to do it. But I'm already noticing some goofy stuff with that, and maybe that'll change as it goes live. But if you try to stream Rare Replay through the Xbox and start a 360 backwards compatible game, even if it's like an arcade game or like Grab by the Ghoulies, your stream just cuts off. It's weird. And it's not on purpose, I don't think. I think it's a tech problem. But anyway. So, uh, also, I wanted to mention one other thing. Um, Be getting some feedback on Shenmue and also on Street (laughs) Fighter um, on my reviews. Mm -hmm. And I don't normally talk about my reviews. Uh, I think they speak for themselves. Our our reviews, actually, Jam and mine. I think they speak for themselves. And most of the time, people don't chime in. But people were curious. And I think this really speaks to... um, a couple of things. Uh, nostalgia is one of them, and the dangerous line we skate. Jam and I didn't want to do scores at all, and unanimously people begged for them, so we decided mm. it wasn't that big deal of us, a big of a deal for us. But that's why there's the review policy link that probably none of you click, and that's fine. I'm not complaining. <laughs> but it explains very clearly our criteria for the different numbers and why we pick what we pick. It specifically answers a lot of the questions people are asking. But more importantly, what it doesn't answer is a question I get a lot, probably because I'm kind of harsh on certain games I do like. Come The ones that come to mind are definitely... Um, Evil Within. Evil Within. <laughs> gave it a 3 out of 5. Also gave Shenmue a 3 out of 5. And people will say, but you liked it. I don't get it. I respect that. So let me explain really briefly where we get to these numbers and why. Um, I reviewed the evil with, or not the evil within, Shenmue. I did like it. And it is a graphical powerhouse. People say you start your review so large. Yeah, but did you get to the second part where I go, now that I've lifted it up on a cloud, let me bring it back down to earth and state that I didn't think Shenmue was doing much with the world it was given. Maybe the Shenmue fans, they clearly did, really like the life sim genre. Me, not so much. And I don't know that the life sim genre is that popular. Hearing people talk about games like Hot of Old Boyfriend and stuff like that, they don't even get. Or the fact that very few life sims even came over here and none of them did well other than potentially Shenmue. Um, you know, I don't think they use much of that game. So my thing with Shenmue was, while I did like it and I appreciate the context it's in, that doesn't get it some scores. Like, the reality is a video game review has three things, at least to me, in mind. The fourth thing is price. Like, what does what are they asking me to pay for? It has nothing to do with a content ratio or any sort of mathematical equation. It just says, would I pay $60 for this game? Or would I pay X for whatever it costs when it first comes out, when a new game comes out? Retro games don't run that risk you know what i mean i might speak a little bit to the value of like snatchers 350 bucks otherwise i won't really talk about it um but uh but the thing with shenmue is uh, a review for me is based off of one what is it doing tech wise right what's the hardware side of it what's the factual stuff it is a fact that shenmue looks fantastic for a 2000 game it really shows off the dreamcast and it runs great that's going to be the more tech side right like like reviewing a computer almost then it's content. What does it do with the game? How does the gameplay work? How do I feel about it? What do I think of it? I think the third part is what, in my opinion, of like the overall gaming populace, and I know that can be weird to kind of try to judge, but just from what I've seen in trends and the way gamers are nowadays, you know, Shenmue's a little more appreciated than before, so that weighed a little heavily on its score. Um, mm. but, uh, but yeah, you put that all together and you get a score. 
if I liked it, that's only one third of my factoring into it. And it's actually maybe even less because it's part of the gameplay aspect. But, you know, so just just keep in mind that that's there. Um, uh, the other one was most people aren't used to pretty low scores, but occasionally mm. Jam and I do it. Well, with Cron CD and with us taking outside requests, yeah, you're going to notice lower scores. Jam and I used to only review what we wanted to and what we like. Yeah. That'll still be true, and it will be biased because we do like them. But with Street Fighter, it got a 2 out of 5 because it's not that good of a game. You know, and I, I think I do a pretty good job of justifying that. Again, you can't really get a review wrong or even a score wrong as long as you try to justify it. So, anyway, I apologize if you don't agree with it. I would love to see people, instead of complain, like, please continue to complain if you don't like our review scores or want some further explanation. I do try to respond to those, and if people look, I do tend to respond to those. And mm-hmm. I completely appreciate and, and enjoy reading comments, even when you don't agree with us. In fact, yeah, it's better absolutely. if you don't. Because then you get more construction for the next person who's reviewing it. But even farther with that, I would love to see some True Blue critiques. Not of Mm. my review, but of the game in and of itself. I think it's great because I don't think riding a forklift for five days is boring. (laughs) You know, but I had a lot of people tweet me, dude, I'm not watching the stream right now because I remember those five days and I don't need to see them. (laughs) Let me know when you're off the five days because my viewership went way down during the forklift days. And then once I got near the end, man, it was three in the morning and I had like 12 people watching me. So anyway, but uh, anyway. All right, so there's that. Um, I think the thing I was going to mention about that as well, the reviews, I think what's, what, what's important to mention is that we, we like to bring our own personalities to our reviews as well. As, and I, I'm, certainly when I write a review, I, don't, I actually do a little I actually can't try and read other people who have done the reviews of the game already and try and not make it exactly the same as what people have probably heard before about the game. Um, just try and put a little bit of a... Di- not, not to say that I don't purposely want to review things negatively, not at all. It is just how I feel about the game, really. And some people like that. Some people don't. But you know. uh, yes, um, uh, I, I completely agree. And so I, I think that's why we do them. Like at this point, we're getting to the point where we're we're not just covering the games we want to. <laughs> you know. <what> I mean? <laughs> um, and it's on that regard that uh, I wanted to mention something else about the game club. Game clubs are changing again. But for mm-hmm. those of you who are into them don't worry they're not going anywhere but we've noticed that participation especially with these lovely people in the live chat for which the chat is booming i should point out i haven't yet and i should sooner in the show you should come join us we are live every tuesday night 7 p.m eastern standard time here on allgames.com where you can join the chat and it's booming most of the time you will have a lot of fun chat out here um so i definitely recommend people do it um but uh, but yeah, the game clubs tend to, and I understand why, they tend to kill the conversation and a lot of people either listen in the background or wait. Why? It's got spoilers in it. It might be a game you're not interested in. It might be a game you didn't play. Uh, there are a lot of reasons people wouldn't want to listen to the game club yeah. or not chime in. So the other thing is we are really backlogged on topics. Uh, Jam and I have plenty of topics we'd like to talk about. And I think our our show has always been founded on more of a cultural and reminiscent background um, where we get into series and stuff. Like, we'll we'll be doing Tomb Raider and stuff like that come November and whatnot. We'll talk about game series and things like that. We've always done that and and consoles and all that stuff. But at the same time, uh, you know, the game clubs are important. So what we're going to do now is the game clubs will be an extra credit. 
They will not be a weekly show. This is good news if you listen to the game clubs. This really this is actually good news even if you don't because that means you're going to get one extra show every month of content. It's good, right? I think that's good. It's only bad news for Jam and I, uh, which is uh, <laughs> we have to record another two-hour show on top of the already glorious amount of shows we already do. But Jam has decided he will figure it out, I will figure it out, and we will do them. The other thing is the game clubs won't be live. Sorry. But again, participation yeah. kind of explains why the live thing isn't that important. The last part is you probably noticed we've been rushing the shit through the end of those, yeah. and we <laughs> yeah. don't want to do that anymore. We want to be able to pause the recording and come back at another time or something like that. Jam and I can plan in advance. So again, I wouldn't expect everything September 1st. We have a lot of stuff even now starting September 1st. So uh, just realize they will be done and they will be early in the, in the, the month. Um, another thing that Jam and I talked about, and Jam, I think you were on the same page with me on this. We might beta test for the rest of the year doing them in two-week intervals. So we'll do a part one and then yeah. a part two. Mm-hmm. Ideally only an hour, but we're not sure. I love it. So, base test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beta test. Uh, <laughs> and we already know what the games are. We've already picked them. But the your next one. Should we say the, 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 in case people don't know already, our next one uh, for set, you know August is uh, Metal Gear Solid Free. Although we're we're have we, are we announcing when we're going to do that now, Fred? We yes, we today, should. We? <laughs> we should. We're changing the date on that, and that will be our last show. That's part of the show proper. I think the reason we're doing that is because we don't want to throw off people since we're making this change in the middle of the month. So. Mm. Uh, it was going to be the 25th, and then I realized, I think it was just because I was looking at just an August calendar, September 1st, the release of Metal Gear Solid 5 is Metal Gear Solid 3, is also a Tuesday when we would do the live show, so of course I would do it, right? If I'm going to be sitting in here staring at Metal Gear Solid <laughs> 5, I may as fucking well be talking about Metal Gear, so... Um, so yeah, so that, that fun stuff's going to come. To make up for that, Jam and I are going to do a couple of episodes. We've already done a Metal Gear Solid episode I did with Trees. Mm-hmm. Jam and I are going to do another episode where we are dissecting the evolution from Metal Gear mm. to Metal Gear 2 to Metal Gear Solid. That's going to be so, a fun one. Yeah, so we'll be recording that, I think, this weekend. And so that'll be fun. Jam and I have both played it. Maybe many of you have. If not, shame on you. Guess <laughs> what, though? You can grab Metal Gear Solid 3 HD and get your hands on every thing you can play our game club you can play metal gear one and two um i had a full walkthrough that was 80 percent done and guess what jam somehow in the upgrade to windows (laughs) 10 i lost it Um, i'm gonna be rolling back on my laptop to windows 7 and maybe it'll come back but i doubt it um so uh so i don't think that's going to be coming out but that's fine metal gear one is a fun game and you've got it so um on that note, I noticed the Battletoads, a little hitchy on the streaming. I don't think the uh, the capture card, I thought it was the Xbox One, then I realized it was on everything. I don't think the capture, the old capture card likes to uh, uh, stream and record at the same time with the architecture of Windows 10. I think that's still a problem. I don't think a lot of people have problems with that because they either record or stream. I do both. And so that's been having some problems. So um, I've also been having some Windows activation problems with my laptop, and it's going to be my press laptop for PAX. So mm-hmm. in the interest of everything being smoother, tonight I'm going to roll back to Windows 7, and hopefully that will fix all our problems. I should also point out that I'm going to be recording and posting live my playthrough of Metal Gear without commentary, because if I did commentary, then 
Jam is going to, I will have said all this shit about Metal Gear on the stream <laughs> and Jam's coming into it not knowing what I had said and everybody's coming into it already knowing what I said. That'd be boring. So what this is, is this is for you lazy gamers. This is for everybody who wants to watch a playthrough of Metal Gear 3 without playing a playthrough of Metal Gear 3. I should also point out, since these are pre-recorded, I will be taking notes and cutting out if I die a bunch of times, right? So it'll look like a perfect run. But you might see hiccups in the video and stuff where I where I jump the edit real quick for the appropriate life. I can usually do it where you don't notice, but just in case you do, that's 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 that. Yeah. So anyway, with all that out, let's uh let's move on. Um all right. Now let's talk about um <laughs> the, the definition of the episode <laughs> let's talk about the definition of the episode so we call this episode assault of the b tier and um the reason i th- brought this up was on b team the mm-hmm. other um the other podcast i do which can also be found Same. on all games here thursday Same nights at 9 p.m yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh we were talking about how indies have filled the gap of the b tier game mm-hmm. and how the b tier game is kind of dying which is true. I was about to say no, and then Chip said I can't talk about Japanese niche games that come over here on the Vita and stuff. And I said, okay, you're right. There's no B-tier games anymore. Then. <laughs> um, and I know some people will complain that that's not completely true today, right now. Everyone's gone to the Rapture and many other games. Uh, but Everyone's Gone to the Rapture is a first-party Sony game. That is a big company making a small-budgeted game. So they kind of exist, but they're very few and far between. However, as Jam and I know, they were abundant for a long time. In fact, as old as gaming, there has been the grindhouse of video games, (laughs) which I like to think of the B tier as. Um, Now, Jam, you and I talked before the show, uh, and and unlike normal, we talked like a whole day before the show, not like moments before (laughs) the show, about our definition of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind opening up with what your your first impressions of the definition of a B tier game would be? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, um, so my first impressions of a B tier game is, you know, is it really a game that was kind of created on a? Because this is a difficult. Because I've actually changed my definition a bit. Because originally I was going to say it's on a moderately low budget, but if you kind of go into when I was reading a bit more about console development before that, before we talked last, Fred, um, a lot of games for any console it can be quite expensive to develop for unless you're talking about microcomputers but we'll get to that in a bit <laughs> so, um, so, but, but generally speaking it's usually a small team uh, not many people have worked on the game um, that have obviously created a game the graphics might not be as fantastic as sort of you know like A-list games uh, the game might have notable you know notable kind of issues maybe it's not smooth um, but it's not to say the game is necessarily bad really but that's kind of what what I would call a B B tier game. Obviously, we're going to use lots and lots of examples through to show what that is. Um, yeah, bit- just in case you haven't figured it out, what this is really this is one of those classic gaming history one hundred and one shows where we just list off a <laughs> bunch of games and you frantically write them down and figure out what pieces of shit we talk about that you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I should also point out, I've been a little harsh lately, like when I said Battletoads sucks and uh, gave a low score to stuff and I just said pieces done. of shit and I said <laughs> that I wanted to shit on games that people love at PAX and stuff. You have to know, we do, I'm doing that more. Are you there? Are you there? Oh my God, I stepped on the cord. Thank God. Okay. Anyway, I'm doing that more in fun. Um 
Meaning that uh, I, I don't think games are shit. Why would I play them if I thought they were truly shit? Um, there That's are bad games. <laughs> right. There are bad games. But the one that I, I definitely shit on a lot is Battletoads. And people say I don't justify my hatred for it. I could write a diatribe review no one's going to like. I could do that. But that's a waste of both our times. Instead, just watch minute 15 to 24 and try to avoid the skipping. And all of my commentary and demonstration as to why I don't like Battletoads. It doesn't mean everybody doesn't like Battletoads. It's just clearly why. So I want people to know I'm not negative. I'm not just because I'm joining the, the more of the critical view. I'm not this or that. I think most games are great and worth playing. Um, I just It's just fun to poke fun. So I apologize if that comes off as negative. I don't want anyone to think this is negativity because I do think that our whole community is based on positivity. So... Fred doesn't shit on other people's games. Um, he's doing a show after packs about he's gonna just shit on my games I like. That's what he does. Oh yeah, that'd be super fun. No, uh, we will do that show if we don't get enough people at packs. But if you Absolutely. are at packs, definitely hit me up. I uh, got some parties we can go to. Don't worry, doesn't need to be drinking, especially since I'm covering the event. There's not going to be a lot of drinking from my end. Um, but uh, uh, seriously, no. Like you can't, you can't go do a podcast after drinking. Have well, I guess you can, but it's going to be a waste of time. Uh, but anyway. Uh, but if you're going to be at PAX, come join us. We can have some fun. Um, we'll get some pizza. It'll be great. Brick ovens, the shit. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, the, uh, but yeah, Jam, another thing is we talked about kind of like the budget price, right? Yeah. Like the discount price stuff uh, for B-tier games. And at first I was like, well, just because it's lower price doesn't mean it's B-tier. Mm. Actually, I'm changing my mind. Doing research and trying to figure out what games I considered B-tier. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely a criteria in as much as the ones yeah. you just gave. Um, and so what I'm starting to realize is that lots of people have lots of different definitions of B tier. But for me, like you said, it's a game that either had like a cheap price, a smaller team, um, maybe a smaller development or something experimental. You yeah. know what I mean? Like something you're like, there is no way this was built for, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm trying to think. There are lots of really easy examples. But uh, um, Shadow of Rome, I would argue, was just a side project. Absolutely. Well, because I mean, that, that was very experimental as well. Um, you know, what, what's, what I find kind of interesting, I was going to also chime in with what Beatty Games is, they're games that um, developers don't necessarily think is going to chime a sequel, really. They're just something that they're going to they're going to tr have a go with and sort of just see what happens. Um, I guess, we're, should we, are we going to use a sort of from, because I was going to say from software as a great example of a, of a company that does a lot of that sort of what you're discussing there of, of games that they release various kind of unusual types of games that kind of are hit and miss um, some of which are popular, and they do go on to spawn massive series like the Soul series, and then some that just don't ah, stick at okay. all. Okay, I was like, I hope you're not talking about Atlas because uh, no, 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 spoiler no, no. alert, we're gonna do an Atlas episode later, guys. So we may dance a little bit around Atlas. Um, but Kassen is asking a very good question. So did we define <laughs> yeah. what a B tier game is? And again, just to clearly state it, this is a game that is either lower in price lower in production value meaning it's a smaller team or a lower budget it is cheap uh, so it's lower in price at retail it's lower in budget or scope um from the publisher which those probably go hand in hand mm -hmm. another thing would be is if it's, if it's experimental if it was clearly not designed 
to capture the mainstream. There was no focus group involved in Shadow of Rome. They really probably didn't care what you thought. Some team came up with a crazy idea and somebody bankrolled it is basically what I'm talking about. Um, And we talked about, Jam, whether or not cult games should be in there or bad games. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to feel that that would be the fourth iteration, which is cult and bad games. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The only thing that I would I would strain to say is you can't take something that's clearly mainstream and call it a cult or stray game. For example, Resident Evil <laughs> 3. Yeah. I, I don't think it's cult or or like some may think it's a bad game, but I don't think it's a cult game well, per se. Yeah, I think yeah. and it was definitely designed to be mainstream even if it misses the mark. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Even to a certain extent, like another example I can think of that I'm looking at on my shelf right now Mm -hmm. is eternal darkness. A lot of people like to go back to that and say, that's a cult game or that's a, this or that. I assure you both Nintendo and, um, Silicon Knights thought that game was going to do gangbusters on the GameCube. (laughs) There was a lot of money put behind that. And there was a lot of, um, positivity put behind that. So this, this wouldn't qualify in there either. So... Mm -hmm. Um, yes, and people are saying Katamari Damacy. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that's a great example. So, and I don't know. I think I still want to do chronological order, but as Jam and I kind of talked about, oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you don't think chronological is going to no, work? No, no, it's okay. just because of the chat. I think the chat is going because we we always like. And to I do share want the chat involved. Say. Yeah. So, um, hint, hint, game club. <laughs> potentially, potentially, Voss. Potentially. We'll put it on the put it on the list. <laughs> so. Another good one is a game I will be playing on a stream coming yeah. up here soon. Uh, if I can find the time. If not, I will do it before the end of the year. And I know people laugh when I say that, but you got to understand that this shit takes time. Um, is Nier. I think Nier is very much a B-tier game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. Which I'm <laughs> amazed to this day is still getting a sequel. Even though it's not the same. But. <laughs> Again, I, I really think what's interesting and this kind of stays on topic, is mm-hmm. have you noticed, Jam, how some games that were B-tier when they came out have become mainstream? I know, yeah. Say, I don't know, should we just jump into it? We've Let's been beating around it, the bush. Yeah. Let's talk about From Software. Yeah. The B-tier developer, if there ever was one. Absolutely. That has now risen. <laughs> <laughs> From the ashes. <laughs> and is responsible for one of the most purchased PlayStation 4 games and one of the most sought after and heavily anticipated games with Dark Souls 3. But before they did any of that, From Software was a developer of many a B-tier game. Yes. So, um, I don't know. What, what are your... Uh, what are your initial like? Is there a particular game that jumps out at you, or something you wanted to talk about right off the bat? For, from from yeah, from software specifically. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I think we should um, f- focus on from software like on their own. Well, it's quite there's quite a few. I think oh again, this is why I say is probably not, we're not going to probably go in any particular already. But um, I mentioned this on the Xbox Top Ten briefly <laughs> was the game Atogi. That that to me is a B tier game, um, which was developed by From Software. Um, it's very, very unusual for what it was at the time. It's it's a very good game as well, in my opinion, um, which is basically, to reiterate anyone that didn't listen to that episode, but I highly recommend going checking out the top, uh, it's an extra credit episode of the uh, our top 10 um, ex- original Xbox games. I, always, I was about to say Xbox One games, but I know some people will obviously correct us on that one. <laughs> um, but, 
Um, but yeah, it's a good episode. But I briefly mentioned this game in that. Um, but basically, Atogi is a third-person action game. With, it's got heavily, heavily influence um, of uh, destructible environments. Uh, it's got kind of mythical demon aspects to it. It's like Devil May Cry, but a lot, kind of not as fast. Um, but a very kind of a good-looking game, actually, for what it is, and very interesting. But but this is a very unusual game, and especially to be released on the original Xbox as well, of all things. Uh, a console that wasn't too popular, at least over here, Well, anyway. and Atogi and Atogi 2 are... Um, right? There was an Atogi 2, was there? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, now, I should point out, Atogi 2, not developed by From. Oh, wait, yeah, it was. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Hiyaki Tobatsu, da, da, Immortal <laughs> Warriors. Um, so Atogi 2, 1 and 2, were at my local mom and pop shop. This is a fantastic shop. I've talked about it before. I They don't give me any sort of budget or anything like that, um, but they're a great place to find stuff, although I'm starting to pick it pretty clean. I'm starting to notice I'm not finding original stuff as much as I used to, but it's called uh, Vintage Stock, and it's... Uh, Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I know it's outside of Kansas City, but it's definitely very prevalent in Kansas City. They had a copy of Atogi and Atogi 2. Each one was nine ninety nine, and they had a buy three for 25 deal going. And I don't know why I passed on it. And then that week we did mm. the Xbox episode, and I yeah. went back to get them, and they were gone. Oh, yeah. that's unfortunate. Um, but believe it or not, uh, the podcast unlocked. If you guys ever listen to it, it's uh, the specific episode I'm talking about is episode two hundred one. Um, it's IGN's Xbox podcast. They had on uh, Phil Spencer. Um, uh, what's his face from EA that got the Halo tattoo? Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, they I don't know mean. Yes, they had on they <laughs> had on these people, uh, <laughs> and then the guy who made the original Xbox. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, they didn't have Jay Allard because he was too busy snowboarding. But um, <laughs> but uh, they they mentioned Atogi as like this crazy good looking yeah. shouldn't exist anywhere. In fact, the Xbox probably had a prevalent amount of these types of games. It did, yeah. I think it was a, but, a big console for these sort of games. Um, and actually, people are talking about a game in the chat, so I figured I'd bring it up right now by mm-hmm. From that many people may have either either passed up or didn't know about. Which is um, uh, Ninja Blade. It mm-hmm. was a, it was kind of a Ninja Gaiden clone. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it, I say kind of because it was neither as polished as Ninja Gaiden, <laughs> nor was it's it like, as it's difficult. Easier. Yes, it was a lot easier. It wasn't easy, but it, it was wasn't a lot easy. Easier. No, absolutely not. Uh, and you know why it was easy, right? The the big differentiator was it had boss checkpoints yeah the big dick move of ninja gaiden one not two two i think is about on the level as ninja blade maybe Mm. slightly harder uh because anytime you would get to the boss in ninja gaiden 2 you were scot-free you might spend forever trying to figure out how to beat that boss but you'd start on that boss same thing with ninja blade uh but ninja blade is kind of what i would think of as a precursor to a lot of the soul stuff um but i really dug that game it's dirt cheap got it on i got on windows and xbox 360 um, Peter Moore, yes, that's what you guys were talking about. Um, Thank you, Chad. But and and again, actually, since Cambot saying Peter Moore is a douche, that's all there is. Remember when he was in charge when the Dreamcast died? That's true. <laughs> and Peter Moore had nothing to do with what I'm about to say. But that is, Atogi was going to be a Dreamcast game. Well, yeah. Uh, and it did. Microsoft did breathe new life into a lot of these dying Dreamcast franchises. So um, let's see here uh, in the chat. Uh, Fortingard mentioned Armored Core. Have you ever played an Armored Core game? I I, I have, and I think Armored Core, Fortingard, is a great example to use from from software because I, I 
I could be wrong in saying this, and I, hate, I, I might get hate for saying this, but I don't really feel that Armored Core has ever really taken off massively. But it, obviously, the games still come out for it, do they? Don't I mean, they? as long as it's not a mech game, I'm fine with it. Mm. <laughs> I've I, I played I think, the one, the version, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the version I played was uh, Armored Core Two on the PlayStation Two. It was one of those close to launch titles. Um, oh, one of those, huh? It's it's um, you know it's it's a serviceable mech game, but I'm, I'm amazed because I think they're on like their fifth version of that game now, which is on the next well last gen consoles, um, Core Five, I believe. So they've kind of all, all, all they've always been around, and that's what sort of from software is so popular for is they sort of just kind of keep some of these um, game series going <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, actually, damn it! I just typed Shenmue Two is only on the Xbox in the US, and now I'm starting to think that's not true. But anyway, um, there were also the Kingsfield series, a series I didn't yep. know existed till Jam told me about it. <laughs> so what what experience do you have with Kingsfield? Um, yeah, well, until recently, is emulation really, and watching sort of playthroughs on YouTube because of the seems um, to be the only appropriate way to play it. To be honest with you, well, yeah, and it's one of those because uh, you know, when you when you obviously because we're going to get before we get to Soul Series in a second, but um, this was kind of like a probably precursor. not, but we probably can not <laughs> chit chat on it. But anyway, <laughs> but this is like everyone yeah, says that oh, this came before this is this is Dark Soul before Dark Soul. So obviously, I was intrigued, and you go and check it out, and. Um, it's it's kind of like all the king. They're all first person perspective games with kind of you know they're all with this kind of that fantasy vibe going on. Uh, yeah, very difficult, <laughs> brutally hard. Also very slow moving. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, have you played Echo Knight or uh, which was the sequel to Shadow Tower? Have you played Echo Knight or Shower Shadow Tower? Oh. Shadow Tower came out on the PS One. I thought Shadow Tower was more Kingsfield because I thought Echo Knight's a space game, isn't it? That's the because um, there's there's a sequel to that on the PlayStation Two called Echo Knight Beyond, I believe. Um, so that's uh, mm-hmm. Echo Knight's the yeah. Is is again they're all first person perspective games. That's why I'm that's <laughs> so, why I'm yeah. pointing this out. But Kingsfield has ba- has as far as I know um, fighting. Yeah, yeah. But Shadow Knight Shadow Tower, which did get released as a PS One classic, and I recently mm-hmm. played through. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the same is true of Echo Knight. Uh, so yes, they're not really the same. No, but they they play in the same universe in that they are they are gone home before gone home. They are walking mm-hmm. simulators where you learn all about people, especially and, Echo uh, Knight. Yeah. Okay. See, I haven't played Echo Knight, but I know I've 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 heard it's very similar. Like you don't fight things. Yeah. Uh, in Shadow Tower, you turn on the lights to get rid of the ghosts. So there's like oh, trigger switches and Knight. stuff like that. What? Echo, Echo Knight. That, you do that in Echo Knight. That's very similar. In fact, you know, you you switch on lights to get rid of ghosts. And, okay. Um, see, I bet these two are. Oh no, Shadow Tower. Shadow Tower Abyss is the sequel to Shadow Tower. Only released in Japan, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. It, they're they're interesting, but um, Shadow Tower has messed up box art. That's <laughs> what I'll say about that game. <laughs> oh, really? So it's, it's, it's got like the Gollum character of the blindfold. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but oh, you know what? Nope. I'm sorry. I'm not talking Shadow Tower. Knight. I'm talking about Echo Knight. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it sounds, it sounds, they're probably identical. You're like, what <laughs> so, the fuck? I swear this is... Shadow, Tower's on Shadow Tower is... 
Shadow Tower is Horror Kingsfield, which but it is still the one that was released on on PS One lately. You can play it on your Vita, but uh, um, <laughs> but it's a walking sim. Uh, yeah. Is is what Echo Knight is. Um, I don't know. I just think these are all interesting ideas. Uh, again, Shadow Tower is a dungeon crawler and like uh, Kingsfield, but like in first person, which is. Sure, it's cumbersome, but at least it's unlike anything anybody's been doing. <laughs> so, um, they also did, of course, 3D.Game Heroes. Oh, um, it's a great game. <laughs> which is not on this list here, but I could have sworn From Software did 3D.Game Heroes. I'm pretty sure they did. Hold on, I got it on the bookshelf right over here. <laughs> Let's do... Regions uh, the collection. Yeah, where is but it? There game. it is. 3D.Game Heroes. It's even Published gone, by right? Atlas... Yeah. From software, yeah. Son because, of um, a bitch. I, I was gonna say in the game, it's got um, like various characters from all the other from software games that you can play. I as. thought so, <laughs> um, but uh, even that—that's just like a, a. I've not played it, but it's a. I'm told oh. it's just a love letter retelling of Zelda. I think mean, I think you'd really like that, Fred. That oh, game. I'm it's sure I would. Really, really good. Um, I would also like Wind Waker, but somehow I haven't gotten around to playing either of those two games. Uh, yeah, three D game heroes first. In fact, if, we, okay. if, you, if you want an excuse, we could put that. We could put that on the, another on the list of game clubs. <laughs> so, the ever growing list. The ever growing list. <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, I'll put it down. Uh, is that one of those games that used to be so easy to find and now it's like hard to find? Well, I remember when I got 3D got Dot Game Heroes, I purchased it like on a whim. I kind of, I saw it. It was secondhand in um in. in I mean, it in, came out for twenty bucks. <laughs> I don't. I, 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 yeah, well, maybe I, it was I, forty. Maybe it was I think 40, it was right? more over here. It was a bit more than that, but it was uh, the the copy I got was obviously um secondhand, so it was a bit less. But um yeah, I know. I know Sai One is um, a fan of this game as well because um, he's mentioned he's talking about it in the chat too. Oh, and you can still pick it up pretty cheap. Um, really? on Amazon, it's going for about thirty bucks. I think that's okay. cheap enough. Yeah, if yeah, you want to grab it used, it's going on eBay and stuff for like 15, 16. I've, I've, so. I've, since I got my copy, I've, I've never seen enough copy for sale since. It seems to be very hard to find. It but... seemed to be everywhere like five years ago. Yeah. And now it's yeah. nowhere. Like every other Atlas game, I should point out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I don't want to dwell too much on From, but, uh, and then of uh, course awesome. their, their crazy big one was, um, was a jump. Uh, when they made a little game called Demon Souls, which they didn't even release outside of Japan for a while. And they slowly crept it into UK and like years later brought it out in America. Um, because my version is the UK version. I have the limited edition from the We UK. came out here first, didn't it? Before oh, America. did you guys beat everybody to it? I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure that I, I could be wrong because I'm going by the, remember I, I, I linked you that interview with the developer. I think That's it, right. It, it did come to Europe first before America, but I could be wrong. I could be a good. You would be wrong, but uh, be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you would be wrong. But uh, what the fuck? There's no way this is true. There's got to be something wrong with this release date because it says Japan, February 5th, 2009, North America, October 6th, 2009, mm. and Europe, June 25th, 2010. I don't believe that. Mm. Seems weird. It doesn't sound right. I remember that clearly being in Europe beforehand. Oh, well. Who cares? But that was a very limited group of people, and now it seems to have expanded. Somehow, the the popular 
jumped up. Um, oh, that's what it was. Fortinguard's got it. Demon Souls yeah. also came out in China with English subs. I think that's uh, the version I got. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yes. 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 Um, but mine had an English guide. Oh well. You got the, I don't you got know. the Shadow Edition, that red one with the yes. soundtrack. That's that's the one I've got. Yeah. No, maybe no. I don't have the Shadow Edition. No, mine is not the red one. Maybe? No, I don't think it's red. I don't think it's red. It's just in a book. It's like got a box and it's got the soundtrack in one part, but I think it's black. And it's got the uh the the like a 150 page like strategy guide with it. That sounds like the same thing. Hell <laughs> if I know. But uh um Ah, Simon Belmont says a uh, suggestion for an episode, Japanese Saturn import games. We haven't specifically done one like that, so maybe we'll talk about it. I, I need to talk to Jam about his comfort level with something like that because he hasn't played a whole lot of them, and I'd want some refresher course stuff. We did talk heavily about some stuff, though, on the Saturn episode that we did a few months back. But anyway, um, but yeah, uh, so... So yeah, from software I think is one of those after the fact popularities. I mm. think people learned to like, they learned to stop hating and love the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the 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 extreme difficulty. But which they were very well known for. From a lot of the games we just mentioned, were hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. I should point out most from software games not a cakewalk, not so much. So um, anyway. All right, Jim. Well, I'd kind of like to hear you talk a little bit about microcomputer games. Well, I definitely wanted to talk about the microcomputer games. Now, this is um, quite an interesting thing, because especially when we were talking about part of our definition of what be rated, because what I was saying earlier about um, most modern console games, especially B rated, they're still they still can be expensive to develop microcomputer games. That really was not the case. Um, so kind of going all the way back to the ZX Spectrum, I'm, I'm kind of going to be referencing that mostly for the microcomputer, although this does speak to kind of both like the um, the BBC Micros and the C64 as well. Uh, kind of the Amstrad as well, but it, even though I had an Amstrad, I really didn't see a lot of kind of titles that will speak to what we're going to discuss here. Basically, there was a um, there was a publisher, Fred, called Firebird at Bird over here. Side um, One will probably know who exactly who they are because they were the company that basically introduced the, the kind of the, the pretty much defined B-rated games, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but they, they were good, but they had a really, really clever business model. And it's because of what they did is what pretty much changed everything from microcomputers around here. So basically... So they um, were the John Waters of microcomputer development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, so basically, what they came up with a clever system where they were going to publish games in what they called a gold category and a silver category. Um, basically, <laughs> games that... Were, yeah, yeah, exactly. I see where this is going. You see where this is going. Um, Games that were published in the gold category were what they would consider their kind of big blockbuster games. Although saying that, though, Fred, they still were cheap. <laughs> they were only £5.95 <laughs> in this category, which is not bad. So $30 in America. Gotcha. Um, but <laughs> the silver ones, which was definitely the more B-rated, were £1.99 up to £2.49. <laughs> so a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, now, the idea of this from them was that... Um, 
Yeah, Simon's got their Firebrothers offshoot of British Telecom. Um, um, obviously, uh, the with the company, uh, the, the the company. Um, basically, um, they wanted to appeal it to basically young to a teenage audience, so that they they could afford the games with their pocket money and not spend them on sweets and comic books, which is actually what their intention was. <laughs> so, and it worked because people did do that, and um, the, the a lot of these games. You know, um, one was one. What was I am going to still reference some of the games that are in the gold category because um, one of the, obviously a game that was released or re-released, you say, um, which was Elite Dangerous, which is for next mm-hmm. gen for Xbox One and PC recently. Uh, that had its roots on the BBC Micro, but that was ported by uh, well, Fiber. They published it. They didn't. I don't think they developed it, but they um, ported it to the ZX Spectrum as one of their gold tier games, and that was quite cheap for a game as kind of as. Um, as massive in scope for what it was for the time and obviously you know everyone everyone's raving about no man's sky but it might you know i'll still say that you know elite really did that kind of way before no man's sky did but obviously on other, in, in comparison it's very different though well today. also to pimp a little bit although this wasn't a b-tier game i recently played uh, rescue on fractalus uh yeah. for the lost treasures of gaming which, by the way, people keep asking me if I'm going to keep playing really old games. This week's episode is actually the 2009 Ghostbusters game. So, no, the game developers they interview are all over the place. Um, but uh, that game had a lot of No Man's Sky feeling to it. It was procedurally generated uh, areas, and you were you know, able to land and take off, and you could fight on foot and fight in the ship. I couldn't because I suck at the game, but many people could. But anyway, continue with you. With, oh, sorry, with that's you. cool, man. Um, but but the so yeah, if we go to the sort of the silver the silver tier um, ZX Spectrum games from Firebird, they were generally made by sort of you know that like it could have possibly been made by a single developer, and it was it wasn't uncommon. In fact, Firebird was inundated with um, people um, developing from their bedrooms, and obviously you know we we'll. Um, uh, one of our big developers these days, Rare, they had their roots with Ultimate Play of the Game, which was pretty much just a handful of people in the early days um, developing for the console for the for the um, for the ZX Spectrum. Um, and well, well, I'll get to them in just a second. But um, so basically, some of the examples of games, and these are just from the titles alone, are rather hilarious. <laughs> so a silver category um, ZX Spectrum game from Firebird would be something along the lines of The Wild Bunch, which is a cowboy game, or Mega Bucks which is a interesting um it's like an estate kind of game if you go like almost like sim city but not nowhere near as good um oily and lisa uh, brainstorm uh kickboxing i'm trying to go with the really bad title ones here and heli chopper <laughs> so, nice heli chopper <laughs> yeah that's one that sits well people um oh and ninja master i had to throw that one in there um <laughs> <so>. <laughs> But but the, 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 some of these games they may or may not have been good, um, but the they did actually sell quite well, and they weren't they weren't developed with particularly high development costs at all, really. And this model actually inspired um, other development companies such as Codemasters, obviously yeah. very famous for the the Dizzy games at the time, and of course Ultimate Play of the Game, who pretty much followed suit after what Firebird did for the microcomputers. And I think even so much so that Firebird actually did a deal with Ultimate Play of the Game where they ported some of Ultimate's games to the C64 for them based on this pricing structure. Um, no kidding. 
um, is yeah they they um, it, it was more expensive because by that I think by that stage they kind of moved along with it. Their pricing structure did change, um, especially when you got to the 16-bit era as well. They actually kind of started upping it to things like nine pound ninety-nine for that part, and the whole kind of gold and silver category kind of phased out, and they just kind of just had just standard pricing for each. So they had the big the big budget ones, but the the very very old ones they distinctly said silver and gold on the boxes of which which ones they were. I'm seeing that right now. <laughs> we should point out ultimate play of the game. If you do not recall, is rare. They would go on to become rare. Yeah. So uh, we did an episode on that. So don't ask. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. This is hilarious with the gold and silver stuff. Also, are you what? But I said what's fascinating is because everyone always assumes the and, and this is a huge. Um, you know, everyone's always talk about the vid- the great video game crash. But people need to remember that microcomputers were thriving after this after the so the video game crash. This, you know, the the market over here was flooded with games, and this was obviously like eighty five, eighty six. Obviously, when this happened, and um, yeah, I know this was three years after. You, you can say what you will, whatever the whole of the crash and everything like that. But um, you know, there was the publishers were a bit worried that because um, Fiber did take a risk. Actually, they they say um, at least from the notes that I've read from some articles that they were worried that it might cause sort of saturation in the market, but it really didn't. You know, this this sort of model was very mm-hmm. popular so much so that um, Firebird even published a terrible game called "Don't Buy This," right? <laughs> Okay. Which, which was a compilation of the five worst games that they received from outside developers. So they obviously Don't thought, yeah, we can... Re- the five we- worst games ever <laughs> on the ZX Spectrum. Yeah. So they obviously... As Holy one, shit. It, it exists, yeah. Fido 1, Fido 2 Puppy Power, Fruit Machine, Race Ace, and Weasel Willy. But this is not a good example of a B-rated game because this game is just utter. Just this is a publisher who thinks they are god and thinks they can release anything. The so. games aren't that bad. Aren't that bad as do-it-yourself games, but they won't provide much fun. Said your <laughs> spectrum. <laughs> I'm wondering if Cy One actually knows about this game as well. I'm probably probably, probably does, or even I'd love to know if anyone actually owned this. I never did, but I didn't know about it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Don't you see, you, you'll never see that in modern gaming anymore. You'll never see a developer spy that to actually blatantly. Or they'll release... mean it. Re- they'll mean it like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They'll, they'll mean it as like a joke. Mm. You know, like they'll they'll be challenging you to not buy the game or something. Because <laughs> that was obviously the point. Is that it is called cool, don't buy this, but you know, <laughs> that, that, that's it's tongue in cheek. Like it's shit, but they also were like, hey, let's throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. So. But but if anyone's looking at going looking that game up on eBay, don't buy it. Seriously, this is this is a terrible game. <laughs> just look at the just look at the YouTube footage. So, yeah, I've I've restrained from doing that. But uh, <laughs> um, well, and I was talking to you about this, but uh, America didn't like budget games ever. Uh, for a long time in fact now i would say it's still somewhat of a point of contention by the way don't buy this is only 12 dollars in america it's only only released for two pound originally so So it's gone up um (laughs) there you go (laughs) but uh but yeah um the, the reason i want to bring this up is because with the atari 2600 there was lots of budget titles 
mm-hmm. garbage titles, as you probably would refer to them as. And whereas they sold stacks, according to the chat in Europe, um, in America, it caused the video game crash of 1983. Mm. Um, lots of very bad video games at very low prices literally harmed our market in a way that was thought to be irreparable. Um, I think we've talked about it on the show before, but just to be clear, uh, I'm not going to go into the Atari games because I don't know them. There were so many of them, and they were probably all garbage. But, um, but it, it, again, it tanked the video game market for mm. from 1984 till about 86. Nobody talked about video games, and when the NES came out in 86, I know it came out in, nine, in 85, according to Wikipedia. There's stories about that i think we did an nes episode mm. but it really hit mainstream in 86 and 87 was the year and 87 and 88 were the two years where it really sold like hotcakes throughout america so depending on how you look at it for a good two to four years um video games didn't exist they were a blip on the scope in the in the form of the atari and the nintendo hit um and it's for that same reason you really don't see budget titles on the nes um I'm trying well, to think. Caution, here. wasn't it? That's when that's when they introduced the uh, Nintendo seal of quality or approval or whatever. So, um, Simon Belmont says I'd like to buy some Neo Geo AES budget games. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were only two hundred instead of three hundred dollars. Uh, and if you think we're kidding, no. Retail price on Neo Geo uh, carts was two hundred fifty dollars. Um, I'm trying to think. There was one set of budget games. I think that were intentionally budget games. There were on the NES. I'm pretty sure these sold at a budget price. And they're very fun games, which are the Mac Adventure games. Are you familiar with these, Jam? Uh, no. Well, I might be. Yeah, remind okay. me. Our boys over at uh, Watch Out for Fireballs, mm. uh, duckfeed.tv, um, did an episode on these games. And these were old Macintosh point-and-click adventure games. I uh, Some of these names will become clear to you because you probably had them in other ports deja vu deja vu 2 shadow gate yeah you familiar with I'm any of these games one, yeah okay yeah, yeah. and there's uh, i forgot what the fourth one was um it was another like horror based one but anyway these are all games that were released in 86 on the macintosh as point and click adventures but they were funny because they were a little more choose your own adventure ish and almost every time you picked the wrong way you just die and then it boots you back on the main screen but these were kind of fun and they got ported over with a decent amount of skill to the nes they're kind of fun to play on the nes and they're not too expensive these days i don't think and of course your good old friend emulations there but mm-hmm. um but uh, these games i thought came out at 29.99 or thirty nine ninety nine, which was slightly lower. I believe most Nintendo games were forty nine ninety nine in the U.S. Um, so those are the only close examples I can come up with, and I can tell you uh, that the Master System really didn't have any other than the card games. Do you remember the the eight kilobit card games, Jam? Not really, no. Well, they that, were like because there's two cartridge slots. There's the big cartridge, and then there's the little card slot. Kind of like the mm. Hue cards on the Turbo Graphics. Have you ever seen any of these games? I think Haunted House was one of them. Oh, from the Master System. Sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry. We're yeah, over yeah, at no, the Mark yeah. Three Master yeah, yeah, System. No, yeah, I remember these. Yeah, sorry. I've already an still. I must have. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Why well, I, I, I move over quick. Uh, so that was what I was going to ask was, do you recall the card games? I believe those yes. were all budget titles. 
Well, they were, they were smaller they were very frame small games. memory. Yeah, they're tiny. They're tiny little games. Yeah, like says like. Um, I, I'm not sure if they were budget though. I mean, well, the, actually, no, they might have been because the carts were more expensive to to develop more. So that would make sense actually. Um, a lot of the games, though, what's interesting about those the the little card reader ones is they were re-released as card versions later. <laughs> okay, so but were they updated at all? No, or no, not, not at all. Because oh. I um I don't I don't I I don't actually have any of the cart ones, but I have some of the cartridge versions of them. One of them was um, a game called My Hero, which is a game I'm totally going to be reviewing for the site at some stage. <laughs> so, which is uh, it's more of a Valentine's Day game, really. But um, it, it's based on an old arcade game from Sega. But that was originally a cart a, a card game for the set mask system first, and then they re-released it for oh. cart. And um, just look up the box art for that, and that's that's your classic um, <laughs> Master System box art right there. Yes, it is big old. <laughs> fucking grid i love it um what i was gonna say was uh um there was one other game i just thought of it's not really a game at all but it's on the nes it's called taboo do you know this game this game's notable because it's got a butt in it um, <laughs> you can see a person's butt um but it is a uh it is a combination fortune telling tarot card reading and it was seen by parents as an occult recruiting game, although I didn't see much occult recruit recruitment really going on. Um, but yeah, this was a, a it wasn't a game, and it wasn't really good at being a tarot card reader either. Um, but I believe that game also was on the cheap. Are you looking it up now? <laughs> Taboo is a batshit insane game. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, so uh, to your knowledge, though, were there any budget titles on the Master System? Well, this is the Sega ones. I that's I really struggled with the say with the with this is the Master System and the Mega Drive because I honestly don't remember sort of budget titles being on those systems, um, at least being no. released as budget titles. I'm sure there is exist. There is one game eh, on the. It Mega- depends, like the collections, maybe, but I don't consider yeah, those budget I titles. Would- because I wouldn't consider those budget titles. Um, like yeah, like the, there's the mega games kind of collections, but they're just re-releases of free games ones in one. And yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, well, and I've got a hypothesis on this because the same is true of um, the NES or of the NES and the Super NES. The Super NES definitely. The only one I can think of is Mystic Quest came out at a lower price point of thirty nine ninety nine. Where most games were fifteen, or um, I think they were forty nine ninety nine still, but it might have been fifty nine ninety nine at this point. Mm. Um, but if you want my opinion, Jam, I think the reason we didn't see that was because whether they were good or bad, all games released at this price and sold well. Yeah, is that those glory years for the sixteen and eight bit era, where there was no such thing as really a budget title. If anybody <laughs> out there in the chat knows it, let me know. But and even Mystic Quest, I don't know. Have you played Mystic Quest? No, I haven't played that. All right, I know it's called Mystic Quest in your area, and we call it Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Oh no, you guys call it Mystic Quest Legend. Mm. <laughs> let me look this up because here's the weird thing. So it came out in North America, then Japan, then the, okay. So I think this game was purposefully okay. Real quick, and I apologize for using I- Wikipedia, but I didn't do the research beforehand. <laughs> Uh, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest was specifically geared for the U.S. market. At the time, console role-playing games were not a major genre in North America. Yeah, no shit. Um, (laughs) 
Square released several Final Fantasy spinoffs, the first three being in the Saga series, Final Fantasy Legend of the Mana series, blah, 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 blah. Um, Mystic Quest was developed in a graphic gameplay style as Final Fantasy Legend 3 from the Saga series, blah, 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 blah. Wolseley stated that Mystic Quest was the easiest one of the easiest games he had to translate due to the game's small size. Uh, because okay. the game was marketed towards a younger demographic, had a smaller development and smaller game size, it sold for just thirty nine ninety nine in America. So there you go. So this yeah. is a true blue first well, I guess Square would have been third party, but third party developed um budget title. Mm-hmm. That and Final Fight Guy are the only th- <laughs> B-tier games. And even that was just because it's DLC in the form of a of a thing. But I don't think there were really budget titles for any of these. 32X I can't think of. Oh, God, 32X. Could you, could you imagine? Everything is a budget <laughs> title, but like they didn't sell anything at budget prices. Mm. Um, except for, I guess, you know, Virtua Racing was a hundred dollars on the genesis so if you had a 32x you were lucky enough to buy it for 50 but um but uh yeah uh sega cd i really can't think of budget titles either the games were actually that that goes straight through to the playstation games were cheaper because they were on cds but yeah that was it Mm. um i don't know you tell me can you think of anything i really can't think of anything really outside of microcomputers um from like late 80s all the way to the mid 90s i really feel that the playstation's when it takes off yeah that that, that i was gonna tell you so i think when playstation especially the first playstation one is that's where we started to really see like this kind of surge or surge of um budget titles returning right and and it, it yeah and i think that'll be the strongest time and i think the reasoning you tell me if you agree with this, but I think the reasoning is because much like microcomputers and the Atari, you get that convergence of hungry consumers mm. and it's cheap enough to pr- mass produce games. Yeah. Right. The, the disc media made for complex games that were cheap enough to produce and everybody kind of got on board. Mm-hmm. And I'd say PlayStation more than the Saturn. I don't know how many experiments are on the Saturn, but there, 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 there had to have been some. Probably mostly in Japan. Yeah, I say with the with the import seat, well, the Japanese imports maybe there's everything was budget in the Japanese mm. import scene, to be <laughs> honest with you. But uh, um, but anyway, um, I don't know. Yeah, is there anything else you can think of? I'm trying to think. I can't. There's uh, there's games I could reference that, but there's games I got for cheap, but I wouldn't because it's interesting because for the cart systems like Mega Drive and the well, and the Mars system and all those, and even uh, might as well mention it now, the N64 is because they were so expensive to kind of develop a game. I think that any game, even if it was with a small team or, you know, wasn't completely up to par, they just released it at full price regardless. So they said, yeah, you know, let's just, just release it and see what happens. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, because it was just, it was just too much money. The only uh, things that for the Mega Drive that I could probably re- that I remember being cheaper um, compared to the full retail ones is when the place because the place the Mega Drive was still selling when the PlayStation One released, believe it or not, and they were actually still releasing games for it, um, including a port of Worms for the Mega Drive, which I own. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that that version of Worms was cheaper than the PlayStation One version. So, oh wow, there you go. But that's a trend that kind of continues. Um, 
every, with every generation. I mean, even now, you know, when um, we, 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 um, they're talking, um, Voss was talking about Evil Within earlier. Um, Evil Within was cheaper on the PS3 and 360 compared to the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 versions, despite it you pretty much being the same game. Well, you would, if you played it on the PlayStation 3 without looking at the PlayStation 4 in either a side by side or whatever format, yes, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. A closer examination, though, would suggest that there are large differences. But yeah, I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it's that cross-gen stuff. But certainly, but, I, uh, I could definitely say going back to that Worms thing that the Mega Drive version of Worms was way inferior to the PlayStation version. <laughs> are you suggesting that Team Seventeen couldn't do as well on the Master System? <laughs> well, but uh, all right. Well, then I guess. I guess we should just open the gates, right? Let's do the PlayStation. Absolutely. So, oh, PC was another one I was thinking of. Oh, of course, just regular yeah. PC gaming, uh, kind of followed the same line. But I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think it was because I was mostly buying mainstream. Well, yeah, but PC was like will continue the trend of the microcomputers. There was always some sort of budget title going off PC because it was still. Well, they were, they were, they really, they literally went from floppy disks to CDs, so they didn't they never went to a cart version. <laughs> yeah, so. that's exactly true. So everything was cheap on PC. Oh, absolutely, just like um, today. <laughs> and the ports were better. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's up to uh, debate. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, that's a true statement. I'm not sure if Sparky's trolling me. He says the Mega Drive version of Worms is really good. (laughs) I mean, I liked it for the time. I liked it for the time. Oh, I'm just taking him for face value. I'm like, I love me some worms. (laughs) But uh, did you know Samurai Showdown 3 was called Blades of Blood? I think I did know that, yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) I knew it as Zankuro Musoken. But anyway, um, all right. Well, let's 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 just jump right into it. Jam. What are some of your favorite budget titles from the PlayStation One era? There, there's there is a lot of uh, places. The, the, the ones I was going to mention first actually are actually kind of re-releases um, of the. You know, they went through this basically massive resurgence on the PlayStation One where they started re-releasing all these classic arcade games, and this includes like you know Breakout, Asteroids, and Space Invaders. Mm-hmm. All those because these. These were actually pretty cool little kind of like reboots of these games. Um, they, they, they were the same concept, but I remember um, we—they're they're all released at some crazy cheap price as well from retail. Nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah, um, but they, some of some of these, especially the um, PlayStation One version of Breakout, were actually, at in my opinion, they were a ton of fun. Um, you know, simple concept, just like the originals, but just with PlayStation One graphics, fully 3D. Uh, they might put a little, they put a little bit of a spin on it, um, you know, just to keep it interesting. I know, like the Space Invaders one was more inspired by the arcade version of I think '95, which had the power ups and stuff. So they kind of went with that. Uh, but Breakout was just Breakout, but just looked pretty, <laughs> pretty. nice for the time, obviously. But they, but they had like this whole like yeah, they they include like story modes and multiple levels, and um, obviously. And you know, I, I dug them. I, re- I'm not, I mean, I, I didn't. I'll be honest. I haven't played all of them. There are, you know, I'm sure there are some of them that are not as good as the others. But, um, but they, 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 those are some of the mo- examples that come to my mind straight uh, off the get go for sort of B-rated games that were intentionally released to be cheap as well. Right. Um, well, the Namco collections. Do you remember those? I do. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Namco collections and the Atari Anthology collections, I remember. Atari Anthology, and they might have done Coleco and Intellivision. Did Intellivision Lives premiere on the PlayStation 1? I was trying yeah, to look it up. Was, Apparently, um, Edge can't PS2, handle Wikipedia. Okay. I believe. Because I've got that on PS2. I don't think there was a PS1 version of it. Okay. Um, but I can tell you that uh, um, that Namco Collection, as well as... Uh, um, uh, Intellivision Lives, I believe, was PlayStation mm-hmm. 1. Let me see. Okay. But there was a version on PS2 as well. Yes, it was called Intellivision Classic Games, and it was only ah. released in North America. No wonder you don't know what it is. <laughs> um, Burned again. But, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but uh, uh, let's see if we got the ColecoVision. No, we didn't. And we didn't get the MSX collections. That was Japan only. But, um, but yes, you got lots of arcade collections uh, on the cheap. Um, and they were good, right? The Namco collections were very popular. Those even got re-released as PS1s and sell well. Like PS1 backwards compatible on PS3 mm. and Vita and stuff, and they still sell well. Um, the MSX collections are okay. I'm very happy with my import copies. I have them on Saturn, mm-hmm. uh, but those were pretty good. And then my other favorite import copies that they did, and those were at a budget price as well, were the uh, Konami shooters. I've got the um, oh yeah the Salamander collection and the Gradius collection, which I don't think either of those came out in um, in America. Did they come out in Europe? Did you guys get those? Mm. Oh, the Parodius collection was also in... We um, had um, we had one of the Raiden games over here, Raiden games, whatever they're called. The, the Red Legacy. That's it, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was a great twin disc uh said what raiden one and two it was like the mm, only yeah it was just could... it's the arcade ports yeah raiden two is really hard to get to run nowadays on the arcade ports like almost universally people just say pony up the cash or emulate raiden legacy or mm. i want to make sure that's the right name for it but it's raiden something um or raiden depending on how you look <laughs> at it um but uh the right end project i'm sorry the right end project and yes that was worldwide um what was the uh okay yep and thunder force never did have a collection no, thunder force five yeah yeah sega if you want to get into good books <laughs> come on sega what the hell <laughs> uh we did also see the first street fighter collection uh, there oh, were yeah. two, actually. Yes, there was the Street Fighter collection, which gave you two, two Turbo, and two Al... Uh, wait. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's Street Fighter 2, two Turbo. Um, so, obvi- uh, Super Street Fighter 2... Wait, 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 wait. Right. Right. Stopping for a second. Mm-hmm. Going to restart. Collection 2 is the one I remember, mm-hmm. which is Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 champion edition and street fighter 2 hyper fighting but they released the collection one and i remember accidentally buying this one and didn't like it it was super street fighter 2 super street fighter 2 turbo and street fighter 2 alpha gold edition which is crazy or dash (laughs) street fighter alpha 2 gold dash in japan so um but yes, yes, these were all collections that we hadn't gotten before, and we were—I—I vi- I was very happy to see them on the console, and they were all cheap, right? This was the the HD remake of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, I think there was even a Gradius one. I'm trying to remember now. 
But that wasn't alone. There were also just plain cheap games. Oh yeah. Um, that were released at budget prices. Any off the top of your head coming to mind? Um, kind of a really obscure one is um, have you ever heard of a game called Devil's Dice? No. No. <laughs> I have not. So this is um this 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 is a very very unique well at least in my opinion it's quite a unique kind of kind of puzzle game. It's basically where you play as like a little like a little like a cute devil I should say because although the you're the Euro- a cute devil yeah but the European box art does look a lot more threatening than the game actually makes out. If you look, I'm seeing it's, it's three. Dice, Three dice in a fiery hell. In a sea of fire. <laughs> no, no, yeah. And this did come out in America. It's on the Japanese PSN too. Oh really? So I could go buy it for five or for six hundred yen. But basically, it's a yeah. You are you're on top of a, a dice, and it's a it's like it's kind of like a puzzle match game, but you got to kind of go around a grid. Um, but there's also like a multiplayer kind of battle element to it, which is a ton of fun as well. But this was released as a uh, budget title over here from Capcom of all people, I believe. Um, we got it from THQ over here. Okay, so it was, it was, it was probably published um, from Capcom. It wasn't developed by them. So, um, but yeah, but it was, but it was well, it was a uh, puzzle games. I think in terms of um, budget releases were and well were hu- were quite huge for PlayStation One and for every every single CD based system going forward. Yeah, it's just weird they didn't think about it before. And I should point out real quick. Um, uh, Simon Belmont's pointing out Thunder Force did have the Gold Pack One and Two, which did collect the the four games uh, on wow. the Saturn. That's why, yeah, because yeah. of the Saturn. I didn't think about that. Sega didn't want its competition over there, um, and uh, I have to have at least one of them because I I, I could have sworn I had one. I think I have the first collection, which has Thunder Force One and Two on it. Mm. So probably more popular would be three and four but uh but i really dug thunder force one and two but anyway mm-hmm. um so devil dice <laughs> it also got a sequel on playstation 2 called bombastic which is a terrible title but never mind oh are you kidding me that's a fantastic <laughs> title i oh, just like devil's dice just sounds so yeah just from the title alone you think that sounds interesting so <laughs> Do you want to buy any devil sticks? <laughs> I don't want to buy devil sticks. Um, let's see. Somehow I am blanking on PS1 budget titles for right now. Okay. I'm going to need a second. Do you have any others? Yeah, yeah, I, I've, got, I've got a couple more. So uh, another one for me was, um, <laughs> of all things, again, the, this this was um, a original title, but it's a spiritual sequel, is Pitfall 3D. Um, beyond the jungle that's a game that's <laughs> yeah. the game that people are not necessarily going to say is very good but i actually had a lot of nostalgia for this game this is uh, I, I don't know i don't know what it is it's, it's like we were kind of mentioning earlier about with our reviews i don't know if it was just how when it was released at the time that it was a game i just enjoyed at a particular moment or something but it's um it's obviously a full 3d version um of a game based off that old 2d um activision game um it's got I don't, what I kind of thought was funny about this game is it almost has like your kind of Bruce Campbell commentating <laughs> throughout the entire game, almost like in like Duke Nukem style, making yes. funny quips and everything throughout it. And it just, it just for some reason, it really cracked me up. I, I should probably replay it and review it because I bet it doesn't hold up today at all. But it was a fairly fun sort of 3D romp. Um, it, but it, it, and when it, it was, I think it was released over here for twenty pounds on release. Um, 
which is pretty, well, yeah, which was pretty cool, really, for but because uh, obviously the the average PlayStation One title over here was thirty pounds, uh, and ours was forty, forty dollars. Mm. That yeah. that works out, yeah. Um, but uh, do 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 do. That was like another shameful. This Pitfall is one of those series that. Boys, they keep they they keep trying to reboot that series. It never takes. <laughs> People just don't want to play that game. I like the original Pitfall. Yeah, that's everyone. It. Everyone likes the original. That is all people want. Is that really the case? Okay. Well, the um, they did do. There was a fairly cool uh, version on the uh, Mega Drive and the SNES actually called the Mine Adventure Pitfall, Mine, Mine Adventure, which actually featured mm-hmm. the original Pitfall. It's the only reason you play that game is to play the original Pitfall. <laughs> At least for me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I have the Atari uh, 2600 version. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so one game I thought about, although people are going to laugh when I say it. um, Actually, there are two games that I just thought about. Both are Konami budget titles. Konami did a really good job with this. Uh, But first one is the reboot of Castlevania, Castlevania Chronicles that we talked about. Um, This is available on the PSN. I think graphically this game looks amazing. The idea that the X68000 was able to create these in 1988 or 89 uh, just blows my mind. And you look at stuff like Castlevania on the NES or Akumaju Dinsetsu, um, and you're just like, how? How did they do it? Um, and, uh, and I don't know. Jam, have you played this game? Um, yeah. No, I have. Yeah, absolutely. Brutally hard. Yeah, <laughs> you can never get farther than the caves, and it, it's the only game that really does a good job of saying, "Okay, this is you. You're trying to get to the castle. You're trying to make your way up there." Crazy clock tower level, and on the fly, you could switch the graphics back and forth. But that game came out at twenty dollars, like it's right off the bat. Expensive now on eBay. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? No one bought it. <laughs> yeah. Which is always the case. Um, but yeah, at the time it was, it was a budget title and, uh, I remember picking that up for just that reason, mm. right? That was, that was basically the only reason I grabbed it and it was really hard and I didn't appreciate it back then. And that's fine. Um, it's still really hard and I don't know if I appreciate it. I, I might over appreciate it now. Now I'm overcompensating for my lack of appreciation for it, but it's six bucks. You can't go wrong. Um, the other one I was thinking of was Metal Gear, the VR missions. Oh Yeah. That was a good one. The, and th- this I like because this is more of an idea of what a B-tier game is when I think about it, where it's thinking outside of the box. There are these crazy VR missions. DLC, Actually, I take that DLC. Back. Yeah, they're not crazy VR missions, but there were these wacky sort of missions. Oh, they I think they were your ones. training. Mm. Well, in the VR missions game, yes, but wasn't it just part of your training or something in the main game? Well, in the main Metal Gear Solid, um, they, you had, I think they just had 10 missions. That's okay, and maybe it was like an extra part of the main menu or something. Yeah, you could access it from the beginning of the game, and it was just uh, there. There were just basically there. Were, I think I believe it was just ten missions. You could play through them with unarmed, and then you could replay through them with the gun, and that was it. But then the Ooh. VR missions expand or expansion. It basically like was it is loads, wasn't it? it, was, it was like tons a, of, fifty to hundred levels, I'm and then they had like these extra missions. Actually, as I well. got the disc copy right here. Let me just pull this out. Real I've quick. got it, I've got it on uh, PSN. 
Uh, I do too. It came with the collection, but I've oh, somehow yeah. kept my disc copy. Also, fun fact, this is one of the few games where if you pop the PS1 disc into your PS2 or your PS3, it will not work. You need the <laughs> PSN copy to play it in those versions. Um, but let's see what it says. 300. 300. Jesus. <laughs> 300 missions. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm never playing It's kind of a game. game in itself, really, with that many. It's just but it was <laughs> sold cheap. It was sold, yeah. I think, at twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, it's definitely sold um, cheap over here as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it, they knew the limited appeal, but wow, wowie, oh wowie. Uh, yes, there are a lot of missions in here. And looking at the instruction manual, uh, they reminded me of a different game that I think was also probably a budget title, which was Vandal Hearts. Yeah, Vandal Hearts. I remember that. Yeah, I don't remember if those were budget games or not. Again, very expensive nowadays. Don't go back looking for Vandal Hearts, but I think Vandal Hearts was the one that I keep. Whenever anybody says, "What's the World War II game that uh, that was on Xbox One and PSN?" Do you know what I'm talking about? Um. Oh God, yeah, I love that game. I think um, it's called Vandal Something. And I keep thinking of Vandal Hearts. Valiant Hearts. Is what it's Valiant Hearts. Valiant yeah, Hearts. and I keep getting the two mixed up. It's driving me nuts. But anyway. Um, yeah, so Metal Gear VR Missions was an interesting thing. It was this crazy idea, and they knew they couldn't sell it as a full game and get mm. much sales. So they released it as a budget title, and it did quite well. So Surprising, though. I kind of think with how much people love that game, they probably could have gone away with it. But so. Right. But who knows? You know, it's well, they, it's, I think it's a good thing they did release it as a budget title, though, because it would have been one of those. It would have probably. It wouldn't have probably gone down well in with reviewers, probably. For the time. Possibly, I don't even remember if it did quite well with reviewers. Let me see if it's in here. Yeah, I think it's quite above just above average. I think with people. But uh... another game that was similar to that is um, I don't know if you got it over in America. It was um, GTA London. Oh, we got show? GTA London, and it was a budget title because it required GTA One to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like you said, DLC pack before there were DLC. I, I didn't uh, think you needed the original to play, did you? I thought I thought you had to. I thought you could play it standalone. I could have sworn you had to boot up the game and then yeah. swap the disc. Let me see. It was a standalone disc, though. I remember yeah. that. So. Anyway, continue on what you were going to say. I'll find out. Oh, well, I was just, just going to say that you know, um, GTA London was basically just, uh, well, I, get it. I, don't feel, I don't really feel it's entirely an expansion because it is kind of its own kind of campaign and everything. It's a new environment. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's the only time that GTA has ever been set in England, which is funny because obviously the people that develop GTA are British. So, but... Yes, they are. But why make fun of your own, right? <laughs> well, uh... I kind of think that's the whole point of GTA London is it was them kind of just taking the piss out of us. <laughs> because it is, it is the whole concept of G of, and people have always moaned to this day about why don't they do another GTA set in England well it'll be ridiculous because we don't do you know firearms aren't a big deal over here really so was it is it just gonna be farmers with their shotguns or something <laughs> yes absolutely that's exactly how it's gonna work you know <laughs> um yeah maybe it didn't I there is a 1961 uh, uh, a London 1961 game, but uh, that's it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I said in the 60s, uh, kind of cool. 
I've always always praised though. Uh, this is when they started doing the kind of that interesting artwork as well um, with the GTA games. This is kind of uh, this this particular game is where it felt like where it started, which they carried forward to um, you know GTA Three and Vice City and onwards, where they went for a specific art style um, that felt kind of relevant for the sixties period, kind of like cartoony and edgy. edgy. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fun game. It's uh, I had uh, uh, James Crease on um, when uh, it's one of our earliest episodes. It's so early in our feed, you probably can't get it through an RSS reader. You got to go on our website. But uh, it's called "It's All About Making That GTA," and we talk about it a lot. And I hadn't played it much then, and still haven't played it now, which is m- bad. Well, not really, because to be honest, this. Um those old those old GTA games. I know that's what I know. A lot of people play most GTA games just to you know have fun and play around. But you never play those old games for the campaign. <laughs> they were a slog. You really if, don't play the. I guess the newest one you do, but even up to four, people weren't really playing. I know. I know. I know. To this day, most people. But five, me. a lot of people do. Yeah. I'll give you. I'll give you that. At um, least with me, I think from free, there was a little bit more of a reason to maybe that you know they gave you a bit a somewhat reason, but um, mm. but at least with the, with turning with GTA London, I don't think I ever played a single actual mission on that game. I think. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I guess we can move on. You want to move into the uh, PlayStation Two Xbox era? Sure. Yeah, that's it. I'm sure there are other PlayStation games we've missed, but uh, oh, there's loads. There's just yeah. oh, one thing I wanted to mention really about PlayStation One. Really, is before the when when the PlayStation Two had been released, the PlayStation One really just did become the the budget title sort of system. Really, after that, they were releasing tons of games at the time. Uh, well, and and then even new kind of big budget games were being released for twenty pounds or cheaper just to sell copies because of the backwards capabilities of the PS2. Just yes, you are right. Yes, I remember that. And they're trying to cash in on it, really. But yeah, you know. Oh yeah, no, no, no. That that absolutely happened. Um, PlayStation One was kind of just a dumping ground for just about <laughs> oh, everything. Yeah. Um, and then, and, and somehow it worked out. Mm. Like it worked out well. It was in its benefit. I don't know how that worked out, but or how that happened. But that's definitely what happened. So, um, and that that trend continues into the PS2, uh, where I'm trying to see. I I took it for granted that I would be able to mention these off the top of my head, and this is turning out to not completely be the case. But uh, any you can think of off the top of your head, Jim? For, for the PlayStation 2 specifically? Yeah, or just any time around that. I think we're at the point where well, we got 20 minutes left. We can start just mentioning. Absolutely. Well, I, well, Fred, I'm surprised that this one didn't come to order. How about Amplitude? <laughs> Amplitude. Oh, yeah, yeah. You Sorry. Yeah. The, was that budget? I, 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 I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, actually, now that you say that, because what's the first one that comes out? Frequency. Frequency. Yeah, I think that was a launch game, wasn't it? Fair, well, he's was fairly it? close to it, to launch. Okay. But the, and th- yeah. But I was going to say, I was just going to say that these, these rhythm-based games, there was a lot of like music-based games released for PS2 that were released on, um, you know, well, on, you know, for a reasonable price. And I'm, Amplitude was a very small development team as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the experimental game that unfortunately didn't work out for them, which is a shame. Which is funny because they're obviously resurfacing it now with their um, with their kickstarted version due to fan 
um, fan support. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and it's been delayed, unfortunately. <laughs> like but, most uh, Kickstarter projects. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, um, just so we can get a quick update, sp- uh, my memory does serve me well. Sparky Kestrel reminded, yeah. Uh, said, yeah, London, you did have to swap out the disc. So I wonder if it was because they sold it for cheaper so they had to verify that you had it. Mm. So um, Vosfai says, aren't all non-DDR harmonics games budget? Well, Harmonix didn't make DDR, but no, yeah. uh, non-rock uh, band Guitar Hero, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I do remember that now. Amplitude was great, though. I really liked Amplitude. Oh, I really liked yeah, it was a, Yeah, it was a it was a budget game. Um, um, yeah. Well, while you're looking it up, I, I to me the PS2 almost at least for Europe anyway, it felt like the kind of resurgence of the shmup in terms of the B-rated um, game. Because uh, did you ever play um, Steel Dragon EX? Steel Dragon EX. <laughs> Maybe I guess not. So. No. <laughs> this is no. Like a, I was expecting like Castle Shikigami or something. Uh, and you throw Steel Dragon at me? <laughs> oh, oh, look at I'm sure it came out in America. This is a vertical scrolling um, shmup. Um, and th- this really started, like, there, a, a lot of these started to resurface because although there was shmups on the PS1, I completely understand that, but they weren't very common over here. Um, the PS2, we started to see a lot of these kind of like, arc- they were obviously, they're obviously arcade-based, although I don't think Steel Dragon EX was um, based off an arcade game. Steel Dragon EX, to my knowledge, did not come out in America. Really? Oh, that's a shame. I have to, I have to oh, I can grab it on, <laughs> on a... Well, no, I've got the PAL to NTSC converter now. Yeah. But yeah, no, this, this is a did pretty not. cool game, actually. That. Holy shit, and it's only like eight pounds? Yeah, it's really cheap. It's a very cheap game to buy. Huh. Huh. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, no, I don't think we got it in America. This is a game I distinctly remember. Um, even purchasing this game, they prided themselves on the box as it being a you know, very rel- relatively inexpensive game, um, you know, which make you know, um, well, pretty much enticing, forcing you to buy it. <laughs> Because mm. obviously for PS2, they they upgraded their pricing from you know thirty pound to forty pounds. So if you found any game for twenty pound on PS2, you grabbed it. Uh, yes. Um. But uh, Simon Belmont's talking about uh, Thunder Force AC. Yeah. Oh no, I'm very familiar. That uh, I thought it was crazy that Thunder Force Three was so popular on the Genesis. They went back and made a uh, um a uh, an arcade game based off it, but. Um. All right, Jam. There was one I was thinking of. Oh yes, on the shmup category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of them. Uh, the Gradius three and four collection was oh, yeah. released for budget prices, and so was uh R Type. Yeah, there's R Type Final. R Type Final, I think, was a budget title. Um, Gradius five was not, and Gradius five is very much not a cheap game. However, it's on PSN now, so you can get it on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, what games were cheaper on the th- offset? Sorry? I'm trying to think of what games were lower price right on the onset. Oh, uh, launch, I, you mean? I, no, just in, in general, like, right, that came out at a cheaper price. I can, oh, yeah. One, one game I can tell you that was, uh, because I bought it back then and I still have it now, was on the Xbox, The Hobbit. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, a game I still love. Do you know how many times I get probably once a month, once every two months, somebody shoots me a, a thing on there that says, I remember playing this with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, the memories. Um, here we go. Look what I just found. I just found my yes. copy of Frequency and Amplitude. There you go. <laughs> Now, was Mark of Cree a budget title? It probably was, actually. <laughs> I, that game is criminally underrated. <laughs> is it now? Is it now, Jam? I think I bought this because you just randomly told me to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what else I know is a budget title that's not criminally underrated? Mm. Masters of the Universe, Defenders oh, of Grayskull. No. <laughs> well, you've oh, already experienced that for yourself. But. God, I'm so heartbroken that that game isn't better. I play it like once a month just hoping it'll get better. <laughs> But uh, anyway, well, there's a lot of that. It is. I think the PS2 is where we started to see the the surges of the shit TV games as well, which were always the Punisher, like the Shield, <laughs> the Shield. I love that game. Have you seen this game? I've, no, um, I've, seen, I've seen your YouTube video. That's what I was referencing. <laughs> there's probably a Magic the Gathering game. There is Battle Mage. Here we go. I've got it. I'm now I'm now finding it's easier to find budget titles by looking through the games I have lying around the house. Versus <laughs> uh, walking around the house and just clicking up games. <laughs> well, I'm in my game room, so it makes it easier. Yeah, here's the shield. Um, what's this? Gunfighter: The Legend of Jesse James. It's a light gun shooter for the PlayStation One. I don't know if that was a budget title or not, but it probably should probably have been. Probably was, but well, they they had that light gun game. Do you remember End Game? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Do tell. The end game is where you play a, a female protagonist, actually. Um, and good, um, good, good. I like it. But it's like it's it's a really low. It's like this is a really unlike you know low budget developed game. Um, it, it's this is shit warmed up. Yeah, pretty much. But I don't. Think wow, I did you it. know that I have Contra Shattered Soldier and Neo Contra? Like, nice. while I wasn't paying attention, I amassed a collection of these. Apparently, <laughs> are these even worth anything? Probably. Well, apparently, not. a Contra. The Contra games on PS2 are very, very good. Yeah. Well, or yeah, I would expensive. say they're good, but they're 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 quite sought after. Hmm. I also have Clock Tower Three. When did I get Clock Tower Three? This is this was, is turning into the podcast of friends. Yeah, sorry. Games. I was much more <laughs> concerned about Haunting Ground, obviously, because that one's a lot more expensive. But anyway, <laughs> oh, you know what was? I think it was a budget title right off the bat. Was um, did you ever play the Nom games? The Nom, Nom game. sixty seven Shell Shock. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I have. I quite enjoyed that as well. You know, I keep. I kept hearing shit about that game, and then I played it, and I thought it was okay. Very disturbing imagery. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty thing. twisted effing game, but um, but I thought that game was a lot better than people gave it credit for. I, I agree. Yeah, um, I, I, I I think I had the same experience as you had. People who deterred me from it, and I picked up the the Xbox version on a whim just because it was cheap, it, and it was a, it was definitely budget priced as well. Um, small development team behind it too, and um, it was pretty impressive actually, especially the end. If you if you finished it. 
Um, it's very. I did back in the day. Yeah. If you yeah. need me to remember it now, uh, unless we want to spoil it, which I don't think it'll matter well, much. Does anybody I don't care? Spoil but... it, but basically, if you've if people have watched any films, you know, any Vietnam-based films, you know, like Platoon um, or um, oh god, I'm parking on the names now. Basically, Ooh. everybody dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, well. Well. Basically. Yeah. It, 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 I think that game was very heavily inspired by those movies, really. Um, but but very very yeah very quite kind of surprising actually. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like now you're making me want to go back and play that. Speaking, speaking my... of which, it did get a sequel on the 360 and, and PS3, I believe, Shellshock 2, which is not as good as the original. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. I will keep that in mind and never play it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, okay, well, with ten minutes left and pretty much <laughs> just seven good minutes... Um, <laughs> I love it. Welcome to Let's... the H101 Spider Find Sheet. That's on. next week's episode. Is Fred is just going to walk around the house. And just... <laughs> well, no, no, no. Because you know what I do? The reason I get those games is that mom and pop store, when yeah. they get disc only games, they have a very specific policy. If it's disc only, um, that's why if you want a certain game from them, you can buy them and you know it's going to be complete. Disc, case, instruction manual, disc has no scratches on it. They either resurface it or with games they can't resurface, they make sure they're good. Um, so you can find some gems going through their 99 cent bin. Jam, this week I went through their 99 cent bin and found... Um, what did I get? I got Final Fantasy thirteen, the PlayStation 3 version. <laughs> Mint. When I'll ever play that, I don't I know. I got like, 20 hours in and I... But 99 cents. Oh, yeah. I, I also I got a perfect copy of Fable 2. Oh, that's good. 99 cents. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I just... Yeah, I just pick up random stuff. Another one I found in that drawer was Republic Commando oh, for 99 cents. Yeah. Which I, I, I think I might give away soon because I, I've got it on PC and I think it works out fine. Burnout was another one I found there. The Punisher pariah i don't even know if pariah is good atari anthology on the ps2 like i find all these weird uh deus ex on ps2 i find all these weird like disc only copies and so i forget about them i bring them home because i like spent like three dollars yeah you know and got three games but i bring them home and yeah but anyway back to budget um so we should talk about the fact that um the we had a bunch of shit budget titles oh yeah it was a resurgence of the Atari <laughs> days. <laughs> yes, and it, and it was just like that, right? You go into, I don't know about you guys, but I bet this happened. You go into Walgreens and it's in the, they, they've got a clearance bin. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? This is Walgreens. Video games don't belong in Walgreens. But amidst those, I do want to talk about two games that were quite good that I haven't played in a while. The first one was, um, oh, what was it called? Deadly Creatures? Nightmare Creatures? That was uh, Nightmare Creatures, I, and that was on the... Nightmare Creatures. Yeah, on the PlayStation 1. Tarantula vs. Scorpion. Dennis Ooh, Hopper it? voiced it. It's a fantastic game. <laughs> fantastic game. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, Voss, anytime you want to come to uh, um, Kansas, they do have an online store. Go to vintagestock.com, but they don't put any of their good inventory or good deals on there, really. Mm. Um, but uh, anytime you want to come up, you can stay at my place for the weekend. We'll uh, we'll go tour some shops, but save up your your skrill because uh, 
you don't want to buy on the go, but I can take you to about, there's about 15 used game stores in my local area. So, um, but, uh, but, uh, that are all mom and pop. Uh, and most people are probably like, well, why didn't you fucking talk about them on the show? Because nobody, I think of it. I don't think anybody's in Kansas. Uh, but, uh, anyway, um, Jam, can you think of any on the Wii? Well, that the you like? budget tiles on the Wii? Yeah. There's loads on the Wii. Um, oh, God. But well, that were, like, really good or beloved or... Beloved budget tiles on the Wii. That's, yeah. Oh, because I didn't feel... I, didn't, I wasn't sure we were going to okay. get that far. But... Then we won't. Oh, oh um... no, no, no. I know one. Um, the Mag- Mad Dog McCree collection was certainly one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's open for interpretation. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's why I didn't mention the Lethal Enforcers collection on the PS1. But... Uh... <laughs> We should do a collections episode. Uh, definitely, but, uh, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, uh, another one. Uh, there were two pretty early to launch games on the other consoles. Mm-hmm. First one that comes to mind on the PS3 was almost a near launch, digital only. Siren, Blood. Oh Curse. yeah. Oh no, we got a physical version. Oh, you sons of bitches! I know. Do you have, do you have a disc copy like in your possession? I I don't, but I do want one. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. You you just keep on not having that. Uh, now I don't feel. <laughs> I'm so gonna go. Bad. I'm just gonna go on eBay and order it now. <laughs> it's and it's it's twelve one gigabyte episodes to download. Do you remember back then? I was like, who's gonna download twelve gigs? <laughs> but I did now. We're, yeah, now oh, we're about other things. <laughs> yeah, I know. My how the mighty have fallen. Um, the other one was uh, we talked about it off the air, but Deadly Premonition. Mm-hmm probably the most uh the most infamous of the budget titles this is was first game. <laughs> yeah right it all comes down to deadly premonition which is probably the quintessential example of a budget title right mm-hmm. it's cheap it was cheap development it's tongue-in-cheek it's crazy it's pretty crazy um Nightmare Creatures was PS1. Then I'm thinking of a different one. Uh, Voss actually asked about uh, Mad World. Mad World hmm. might not be... I don't um, think that was budget. But it sure drops it's in beat- price very fast. It sold like nothing. It's a very B- it's a very B-rated game, though. Yes. Um, but uh, it must have been... Night- not Nightmare Creatures. It must have been Deadly Creatures was the name yeah, of the Yeah, de- Deadly Creatures. There we go, Deadly Creatures. the spider and the scorpion or whatever you know yes <laughs> yes um but uh but yes and uh simon belmont i know you definitely want these he's been harping for these uh when we do the collection the compilation episode we will definitely talk about uh, uh japanese games but unfortunately we've kind of chatted about them on this one but we'll actually get into what's in them and what's uh, notable about them but um the physical version of Siren Blood's Curse is still cheaper than each episode in the U.S., I, I think. Still overpriced. I believe yeah. that. Uh, 12, I think pa- 12 pound over here. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think we can get the uh, Chinese version. We could get the PAL version, though. It works just fine in our PS3s. But, uh, um, but anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, that also made me think of a game that I'd played, which was... Um, uh what's it called uh the uh oh, what was the game um michigan oh yeah michigan off ps2 yeah so i did play through that one um but yeah so i don't know were there any others you could think of jam i mean we definitely get into the hd remakes uh moving forward but um yeah. 
Well, because we we get, we could, we pretty much I, I think we pretty much covered it most of them there. There was um that we saw there was a lot of kind of with the three sixty there was some interesting games that were up to debate whether they're any good or not. We had like games like Dark, um, the Rayman Origins and Legends games both were released as uh-huh. kind of budget title games. Yes. Um, the there's a game. Do you ever play Vampire Rain? <laughs> It's like Splinter Cell with vampires. <laughs> oh, I was told to stay far away <laughs> from that game. Uh, so Actually, no, I haven't. You know what? People shit on that game, but in a way, it's it's if you see it for cheap, Fred, if you see it in your one dollar bin somewhere, I would recommend picking it up just for it's interesting to look at how it's designed because I think it's a game that at heart was a good idea. It just wasn't executed properly um, very well. <laughs> okay. There's also another game, just moving on, There's uh, just because I know we haven't got much time, but there's another game called Morphex for the 360. Morphex. That was quite... That was like a... That was a very... Um, that was very you're very making these up now. Oh, I no, I'm not making, making, I'm not making these up. That was a what very... What sort of, the shit? This game got... What the shit am I looking at? Is this Vampire Rain? <laughs> no, Morphex. This is from our boys and girls at 505, and it did come out in America. Oh, it did oh, come out in America. my God. That is a weird game, but I definitely recommend you, if you see that, you get it. <laughs> that looks like an Is It Kusa game. <laughs> that, that, is, that is the hallmark of Is It Kusa game, that game. <laughs> and, and, oh, wouldn't you know, it is, uh, is $2.69 at GameStop. Well, there you go. That's just so it's old. And I believe there's one in my area. <laughs> Holy shit, there's one in the place up the street. I've still got an hour before it closes. I may need to run and go grab this. But uh, anyway, <laughs> all right, ladies and gents, we are going to be taking our leave of you. But uh, thank you very much. Remember, start playing the Metal Gear Solid 3, or at least start watching the videos, which should start going live near the end of the month. Or end of the week. I've done two playthroughs out of four so far. <laughs> yeah, well, you're crazy, man. <laughs> that game is like 15 hours, isn't it? Not, not if you cut out the cutscenes. The oh, um, you're cutting out the cutscenes, but you but won't get to see Eva's bosoms. I, I've done what, at least one of the playthroughs is a full. The, the first one I did, which was on the 3DS, I did. I saw everything in 3D, <laughs> which just sounds wrong. Everything in 3D, <laughs> which just sounds wrong. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, um but uh yeah so we've got some more episodes coming up this uh this month but we we have two more episodes to do jam and i will be talking about we have all these topics we just haven't figured out which ones we're going to do and then we will do the game club september 1st where we will announce september's game club now if you are metal gear players or i know we're going to start seeing a rush of games coming out that people want to play uh in the modern day uh, rest assured, we're going to go a little easy on you, at least for September. It's a very short game club, but you'll see why and why we think it's important when we bring that up. But, um, but yeah, we'll get that going. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, so get going on that. In the meantime, we will definitely be doing some of these games. I also wanted to pimp a couple extra credits. Jam has an extra credit going live Thursday, mm-hmm. which uh, was you at Comic-Con, right? It's you and me, Tendi? Yep, that's right. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to listen it, to it when we post it. So, I was say, um, it's, it's, um, so I, I take a bit more of a back seat this time because uh, when she sort of shows some of her range, which is which should be more interesting for people actually, because she's a very pro comic con attendee, I should say. 
That's awesome. Uh, two, I figured out now why I didn't want to do September 1st. It's because it's right after PAX, but doing a yep. game club is easy right after PAX. Doing a game club for this oh, yeah. game, of all things, will be no problem. So let's push back top scores. I don't know. Do you want to push it forward or push it back? Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care either way either. So let's delay whenever we can. So top scores will be the week after that. That'll be the middle week in September. So we've got some, some fun stuff coming up. Also... Um, uh, watch for Fortingard and I, I think are going to get together tomorrow night and record. We're going to start doing some Japanese game series. He's got a lot of knowledge on it. And, uh, sometimes where jam doesn't feel comfortable doing it. Him and I might tackle some subjects. So I know a lot of people like the Japanese import stuff. So we'll get working on those, but jam, you're always welcome to join us when you want to. Oh, sweet. But anyway, um, all right. Well with that, we will call it, uh, a go and, uh, see everybody later. Mm-hmm. Peace out. Yeah. <laughs>